Church. I uh, hope you're doing well. If you're new here, my name is Matt Ortiz, one of the four pastors uh, here. And uh, after the service is over, please introduce yourself to me. I would love to uh, get to know you. And then maybe if you can make it to coffee with the pastors tonight, we can spend some time uh, getting to know each other uh, better. To bring up speed, we finished up a series um, from the Old Testament looking at the life of David. We're getting ready to start a, a new series, uh, and, but we're in between and, and, uh, those two series. And this morning we're going to look at an interesting passage from the Old Testament as well from a book called Hosea. One of the most fascinating stories in, in the Bible. Um, but I'll start with this. You know, you don't have to look very far at all to see that people are suffering. Just horribly suffering. And thanks to internet and television, I mean, we can see people on the other side of the planet who are suffering. And, you know, since it's on TV in that little rectangle box, there's kind of a disconnection from what's going on in other places, right? But it gets real when it hits us. And here's what I learned. You know, I've told you before in the first service, the original OG crowd, you know, that helped start this, this, this church, I'm the young punk. And in this service, I'm the old dude, right? Well, I am old enough to know this, that everybody ends up with their own story about suffering. Everybody. No one gets a free pass on suffering. doesn't happen. I'm not trying to be all Debbie Downer on you, but that's just life and the way it goes, right? We can't pretend that's not a reality. I mean, we will get hit over and over again with the truth that, that, that things are not the way that they are supposed to be. And at some point, you can end up losing hope altogether, and you feel like your life is ruined, and you need to be ready for that. Even if you've already gone through that kind of stuff. I mean, we always need to be ready for that because as we face the chaos and pain, when they hit, we can end up having all kinds of uh, distorted ideas about God. The pain gets so intense that, that we look through that lens of pain and suffering towards God and we do not see Him clearly. We see a distortion of Him and then we start coming to all kinds of wacky conclusions about, about God. When God becomes distorted to you, or when he somehow becomes like evil or a manipulator or what I mean, people can come to those conclusions when they're suffering. And you ask, how in the world can I believe in a loving God when bad things happen? We must not be loving. Or he's not powerful. He can't do anything uh, about it. And so we struggle with doubt. We struggle with fear. And, and that fear often turns into to anger because we realize that tragedy can strike at any moment. Now, I'm here to tell you this morning that the only real solution to that is God's love. Now, hang on. When I say that, 
Don't dismiss that as some kind of shallow, superficial, feel-good sentimentality, okay? We're getting down to earth with this, and we're going to unpack with what that means, because only God's love can calm your fear. Only His love can calm your, your anger. Only God's love can give us strength to face life that will include suffering, and only God's love can enable us to reach out and love other people who are suffering. So here's the question. If God exists, how can we know that God loves us, right? I mean, what's it really mean to be loved by God? I mean, how can we actually experience God's love here and now in this life in a broken world? God knows that we wrestle with that. And so he sends us a declaration of his love for us called the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures. And throughout the scriptures, from cover to cover, I mean, we—I mean, God gives us history. He gives us poetry. He gives us uh, promises. He gives us parables. He gives us logical reasoning, all to convince us that He is real and He loves you. And you know what? This idea of God's love—it is so much more than you imagine. God wants you to know what that means and what it's like for you to experience it, for you to be welcomed, for you to be accepted, for you to be loved by God. And today, he gives us a story, a real-life account of a love story between a husband and a wife. And you know what? It's, it's like a lot of other stories that happen in our world every day and have been for a long time. It is a story of, of a broken promise, a broken dream, and a broken heart. And we all know of stories like that, don't we? Maybe all too well. But in other ways, this is a unique story. In fact, it's one of the, not only one of the most uh, stories in all scripture, one of the most amazing stories in all literature. It is this love story of a man named Hosea and a woman named Gomer. Now there's a lot we could read did my best to whittle it down to get to the heart of, of this story. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read kind of a, a, a long passage uh, for you. Maybe you can read the rest of it when, when you get home. But I'm going to read through what we have here and, and then draw out, unpack the story a little bit and then draw out some critical lessons for us. So let's, let's read it. Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. And so he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. Verse 6, Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And then the Lord said to Hosea, call her 
Lo Ruhama, which means not love, for I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Verse 8, after she had weaned Lo Ruhama, Gomer had another son. And the Lord said, call him Lo Ami, which means not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet, the Israelites will be like the sand of the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. Chapter 2, verse 5. Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers. Forgive me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. Verse 8. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain and the new wine and the oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold which they used for Baal. Therefore, I will take away my grain when it ripens, and my new wine when it is ready, and I will take back my wool and my linen intended to cover her nakedness. Verse 14. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. Chapter 3, verse 1. The Lord said to me, Go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred grazing case. And so, I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. And then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way towards you. What an amazing, crazy story. This story, let's expand on it a little bit, it takes, it takes place in the city of Samaria about 740 B.C. And you know what? It's kind of hard to imagine how Hosea and, and, and Gomer could have met, right? They came from completely different backgrounds. He was a preacher and, and she was part of the wild party scene. But one thing is clear, that God brought Hosea and Gomer together and he brought them together for one purpose, to demonstrate God's love for us. And so Hosea and Gomer met and fell in love and got married. And, and I'm sure when Hosea was a young man and he, you know, maybe daydreamed about, you know, his, his future wife and what she was going to be like, I'm sure he imagined that, that, that she was a, a pure and innocent young lady set aside, you know, just for him. But he was to marry a woman that had already given herself to other men. And maybe he thought, you know, well, even though Gomer had like a rough past, God is the one who brought us together, so I'm sure our marriage will be filled with 
love and faithfulness and loyalty and, and we'll live happily ever after. But Hosea was wrong. And you know, it's not too difficult to imagine maybe some of the problems they had. I mean, there are people like, like us, maybe, you know, Hosea was being too busy with his work. And Hosea realizes, he realizes he has got a very deep, urgent concern that unless Israel stops running from God and towards self-destruction, God would have to, to judge them in order to save them. And so it's easy to imagine someone like Hosea not spending enough time with his wife. You know, Gomer did not happen to share her husband's passion for God. And, and any wife would resent the fact that her husband seems more interested in his work than in, than her. However it played out, they drift apart. Gomer starts going out at, at night. Hosea sits up night after night, waiting for his wife to come home and praying that she would. And one day, it seems like God finally answered one of Hosea's prayers, right? And Homer gives birth to a baby boy, and that must have given him a new hope, you know, for his marriage, that their child would, would draw them together as parents, as husband and wife. But that doesn't happen. Well, Homer could have felt bad and promised to do better, but somehow the resolve just didn't go deep enough. Now, this is crazy. Check out the names of these children. The first boy is Jezreel. And in Hebrew, Jezreel means to cast aside. Then they had a second child, a baby girl. And her name is Loruhama, which means not loved. And then they had a third child, another boy, his name is lo ami, which means not my people. Now, I remember before my son and daughter were born and my wife and I, we were checking out all the baby name lists. These names weren't in there. Right? I don't think that they are on any baby name list other than what we see right here. I don't know of anybody who, I want my kid to have a biblical name. I'm going to call my daughter lo Rama. Doesn't happen. Didn't happen. Now, here's the what in the world is going on here? Well, a couple things. First, they give God's people an urgent wake-up call. Hosea's children and marriage have become like this, this object lesson for the sake of Israel. And every time Hosea uh, called his children to come in, and every time he introduced his children to, to people, those names would be an urgent warning call that, that God must deal with, with Israel's self-destructiveness and their sin in order to save them if they don't repent. But these names do something else as well. I mean, they, they give us insight into what is happening in, in, their, in, their, in their household, in their, in their family. The, the, the name of the third, third child is Loami, and, and what does that mean? Not my people, right? Hosea was struck with the realization that these children born into his home by his wife were really not his children at all. But even though Gomer was being unfaithful, Hosea refused. To divorce her. One day, 
bottom fell out. He comes home to discover that his wife had left him. Maybe she left a note and said, you know what, I can't take it anymore. I'm leaving you. I'm leaving the kid. Don't come after me. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, Hosea trying to explain that to his kid, that kids, that mom's not coming home. And imagine the, the chatter going on the, the next day. Did you hear? The preacher's wife left him. Serves him right and being so busy meddling in everybody else's life, can't even take care of his own. I'm sure there were others that knew the situation, that she was cheating, and they shake their heads and say, poor dude, he's better off without her. But Hosea still loved Gomer. She left his home, but not his heart. Gomer's other lovers would promise her a good life. And you know what? It is all too easy to be attracted by, by romance and freedom and fun, but what starts out as pleasure has a way of, of turning into pain, brutal pain. And she gets passed from one guy to another until she ends up in the hands of a guy who is unable to even provide for her basic necessities. And when Hosea finds out that his wife's needs are not being met by this guy that, that she's, she's with, he goes to the man she's living with. He knocks on the door, he opens the door, and he says, do you know Gomer? And he says, yes, what if I do? Well, I'm her husband. I'm sure that guy got ready for a fight, right? No, you don't understand. I thought maybe you would take some of my money and buy her what she needs. I, I love her. The guy can't believe it, but he takes the money. And he goes on a shopping spree with Jose's money. Goes to the most expensive stores like Nordstrom's and Whole Foods, right? Whole paycheck. He brings all these nice, wonderful things home, and, and Gomer runs out to this guy and, and hugs this guy and thanks this guy for the gifts that he bought with her husband's money. And Gomer doesn't change. And since Jose could not draw her back with his affection, he decides in love to help her understand how self-destructive her unfaithfulness is in order to help her. Hosea says, therefore, I will lead her into the wilderness. And there, I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And the valley of Achor in Hebrew means the valley of trouble. And so he says, therefore, I will make the valley of trouble a door of hope. I must allow her to learn from the consequences of what she's doing, but it will be in that valley of trouble and in that valley of despair that I will open for her a door of hope, a door of freedom and deliverance and life. That's how it goes down. Gomer ends up landing in the hands of of a man who does not care for her at all, 
and this guy sells her. He sells her into slavery. Many other cities had slave markets where men and women were, were bought and sold like animals. They were stripped of their clothes and forced to stand before the crowd. And it was there at this slave market that Hosea finds his wife. As Gomer is led up to the slave block, someone spots Hosea standing on the edge of the, of the crowd. Look, look who showed up to see Gomer get her punishment. And then the, the bidding begins. Who will give me ten pieces of, of silver? And someone says, right here. And someone else says, I'll make it twelve. And then Hosea says, I'll give you fifteen. And, and then someone else says, I'll give you fifteen pieces of silver and five bushels of barley. And Hosea says, I'll give you fifteen pieces of, of, of silver and ten bushels of barley. Sold. And the gavel comes down and Hosea goes forward to his wife. You can imagine people whispering, man, what a waste of money to get even. I mean, why not just let her be sold into slavery and spend the rest of her life, you know, regretting what she's done? But Jose didn't buy back his wife to punish her. He buys her back to redeem her. To bring her home. He says in chapter 3, verse so I bought her. And then I told him, you're to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And I will behave the same way towards you. Hosea is saying to her, you are precious. And I cherish you. And I am asking you, to be faithful to me. But whether you are not, you are faithful to me, I will be faithful to you. That's an amazing story, huh? And here's the deal. In all of the things that Hosea does that is good and right, he is pointing us to God. And in all the things that Gomer does that is unfaithful and wrong, she is pointing us to us. So there are some important lessons for us here. Four lessons we learn if you're taking notes. Four lessons about God's love for us. And first is this. God's love is daring. Let me explain what I mean. You know, maybe when I told this story, you were tempted uh, to, to judge, to condemn Gomer. But remember, Gomer represents you and me, okay? Not one person here, or who has ever lived, or ever will live, has been, or will be, 100% faithful to God, right? Not one person. 
you and I have been and will continue to be unfaithful to God. And it's not just that we broke, we broke some, some rules. I mean, we turned our backs on his love and chased after other loves. And instead of looking for, to God for our meaning, to looking to God for our purpose, to looking to God for our comfort, we've looked to success and work and family and romance and beauty and approval and self-righteous religion and, and, and pleasure. And all of it always lets us down. It can never live up to what God has promised us in Him. But we keep going back to it. And even though we are unfaithful, God continues to care for us. He provides you with every breath that you breathe. He provides you with skill and strength to work. He provides you with family and friends. He, he meets your needs. But like Gomer, we give our thanks and our love so often to anyone and anything but God. In fact, we usually take the credit for ourselves. We're like, hey man, look what I did. I got my act together. What's wrong with you? To the point of even being suspicious of people who are, who are broken and hurting. And, and we withhold our love because, you know, we don't want to enable them or something. Like Gomer's lovers, our other loves cannot deliver what they promise. They lead us into slavery. I'm not a slave to anyone or anything, but let me explain. Whatever it is, whatever it is that you look to for your meaning, for your purpose, and for your ultimate comfort in life will ultimately control you. Even at the deep level, level of, of your emotions, and I keep bringing this up and up and up because it's so easy to for, forget. When there's something that we have to have, something other than, than God for, for purpose, security, comfort, you know, meaning in life, whatever, uh, when that becomes the thing, we become obsessed when we have to have it. We get anxious when it escapes us. We get angry when, when other people, you know, mess with it or threaten it, right? We get guilty when we, when we fail it, depressed when we lose it, and then empty if we get it. That looks a whole lot like slavery to me. And do you know what's at the root of all that? Here's what's at the root of all that. Spiritual adultery. It's spiritual adultery. We're, not, we're unfaithful. Look, this is not me piling on, on, on you. I'm including myself in all this. We're unfaithful. We regularly look to something or someone other than God for a meaning and purpose in life. But still, God does not bail on us. He remains faithful. You may have left his home, but not his heart. And we forget him all the time. But he never forgets us. He wants the best for you and me. He wants you to be free. And the question that I think that haunts us is, is that even possible? I mean, how, how does that happen? How can we be set free? And that's the second lesson if you're taking notes. God's love is powerful. Let me show you how. 
maybe as we're going through the, stu- through the, the, the story, you were wondering, you know, while I was telling the story, you know what, how in the world could Hosea do that? I mean, how could he foot the bill for, for, for her unfaithfulness and, and pay good money to, to get back a woman who was cheating on her? I mean, how could he do that? Well, the answer is found in chapter 3 when Hosea says this. The Lord said to me, Go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. Hosea was able to love Gomer because Hosea knew the love of God that God had for him, even though he was unfaithful to God. The love of God is so powerful, it sets you free from slavery to all other false loves that, that rip you off and enslave, and enslave you. And so when you find your meaning and your purpose in God, you are free to love other people as God had loved you. See, to, to the extent that, that you know God's gracious, unconditional love for, for, for you, even when you are unfaithful, you will have loving, gracious, you know, just unconditional love for, for other people that, that you view as unfaithful. The other side of the coin is this, to the extent that you do not show love to other people, even unfaithful people, you don't really know the love of God or how much he has loved you and forgiven you. See, here's the deal. It is God's love that enables you to love your spouse, to love your children, to love your parents, to love your brother, to love your sister, to love your friend, and to even love your enemies with no strings attached. God's love enables you to love even when your love is not returned. God's love enables you to love others with the same love Hosea had for Gomer, the same love God has for you. And that takes us to the next lesson. God's love is extravagant. I mean, it is far more extravagant than you than probably ever imagined. I mean, to, to begin imagining it, think about where God's love finds you. Most people, most people, and I think most Christians and and most preachers, based on a lot of the, the things, the teaching that I hear, most people think that, that God's love finds us when we are seeking him and loving him and obeying him. And God says, oh, he's such a good little boy, good little girl, I guess I'll love you today. But the truth is, God's love finds you and me just as it found Gomer. It finds us when we're chasing other loves. God finds us when we are enslaved. And you know what? That's the first thing self-righteous religious people forget about themselves when they start condemning others and acting like they're somehow better than that person or that person or that person. There's no excuse for that. And then think about where God's love brings you. But most people think and act as if God 
is, is a demanding box, and we are his employee. That's the arrangement, right? But God says, no, that's not it at all. I am bringing you into a relationship of kindness and love and, and grace and, and security. You know, there are other images in the Bible that we, that we read. The scriptures say that, that we are his sheep and God is our shepherd who loves us. And we are his children and God is our, our loving father. But he, and then here in Hosea, God goes even further and he says, my people are my bride. And when we are unfaithful, he will not let us go. He watches us and provides for us, comes to us with one purpose, to bring us home. This is not a boss-employee relationship. It is a relationship between, you know, God and God's people. Think about what God defines you, where it brings you. And third, think about how God's love brings you home. Jesus comes to the slave market. And when the bidding starts, he doesn't say, I'll give you silver or gold. He says, no, I will give my life. And Jesus is arrested and stripped and spit on and beaten to a bloody pulp. And they lead him up the hill for execution. And God stretched out his arms on the cross and says, this is how much I love you. And God the Son is sacrificed. You know why? Because it is the only way to bring you home. And he brings us home not to punish us, but to love us. And here's the last. The last lesson. Don't miss this. God's love is available right now to you in this moment in the middle of the darkness. His love is available right now. What Hosea did for Gomer, God sometimes does for us. Sometimes when we persist in going after other loves, God lovingly brings us into the valley of, of trouble for our sake. And in that place of broken dreams and broken lives, he opens to us a door of salvation and hope. Now, we can't guess. We can't speculate like this bad thing is happening because I did this bad thing over here. Right? We can't speculate like that. Well, Jesus was perfect. Look what happened to him. But God does tell us in Hebrews that he corrects his children because he loves us. We know that as parents. You see your son sticking a knife in the light socket? You don't stop him, you don't love him. Right? With all the stuff that's going on in your heart and life, with all the unfaithfulness in our, in, in our, in our hearts and in our life, God loves you just the way you are. But he loves you too much to let you remain as you are. So maybe you've never, maybe this is new for you, and you, you realize you've never known God's love. You don't trust him at all. But this is different. 
You realize it's not a boss-employee relationship. And you feel like you, you're in the wilderness right now. And maybe you've cried out, you know, where in the world is God? If he's real, where is he? An answer from the book of Hosea is that, that God's not out lost somewhere. You are. And he's with you. And he seeks you. And what's the best for you? He graciously brings us to our senses. And he relentlessly proves to us over and over again, especially with the cross, his loyalty for you. And he fills your heart with faith to believe so that you can know his love that he demonstrates through his prophet Hosea. So my question for you is, if you find yourself inclined to trust God, that is the Holy Spirit drawing you to him. Believe. And no redemption and freedom. Trust him today in this moment, right now. And then tell one of us so we can talk about it and, and encourage each other and pray for each other. For those of you who have put their faith and trust in God. In preparation for the Lord's Supper. Go to the Lord in, in prayer. Together, we can ask God to show us the unfaithfulness in our hearts. I mean, a lot of times we just don't want to, to deal with it, think about it, or whatever. Then it gets, never gets dealt with. Grace does not lead us to, to, to sweep sin under the rug. Grace, thank God, leads us to, to bring it out into the light, to confess it, and experience healing. Right? Grace is, is, is what enables us to take our, our, our sin seriously. And then find joy on the other side of repentance. And just so you know, repentance, um, there's a lot of misconceptions about, about repentance. And, and so often in Christian circles, people believe that repentance is just turning from bad works to good works. But true repentance is turning from all works to the work of Jesus. That's where you find life and hope and salvation and freedom. Deliverance from this idea of a, of a boss-employee relationship. So, in preparation for the Lord's Supper, confess, look into other loves instead of Him for a meaning and purpose in, in life. Acknowledge that, that these other loves cannot deliver what they promise. All they can do is enslave you with obsession, anxiety, anger, guilt, depression, emptiness. If you're experiencing that right now, that's like a, it's like a dashboard light on your car. Saying, something's wrong. And so it's time to see, lift the hood, see what's going on in the heart. God's leading you. His kindness leads you to repentance. And then what other response is there? other than to express deep gratitude that he is faithful to us. He leads us into the valley of trouble to open up to us a door of hope. 
and he opens that door by redeeming us, purchasing us, not with silver or gold, but with his blood. Not to punish us. He took our punishment, but to bring us home. And so he gives us gratitude and deep resolve to live with him, to love him more, and to be more loyal to him above all else. This is our God of grace. Amen? Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you that you are faithful to us even when we are not faithful to you. God, I pray that in, in this moment, uh, right here, right, right now in this room, that, that you, by your Spirit, shine a light on our hearts and show to us, convince us of our need for, for your grace, our need for you, our need for, for you to be faithful to us because we're not faithful to you. And so God, would you graciously diagnose our hearts and, and show us what's, what's wrong with them? Not to leave us in, in shame, but to take our shame and to lead us home to your love and your security and your comfort, your strength that nothing else in this life can ever give us. God, I pray if there's anybody here that is not taking that step to trust you, God, by your spirit, would you give them the faith to believe? Would you give them the courage to follow you, to be loyal to you? Just out of sheer gratitude for your grace and be in awe of you. God, I pray in this moment that you would hear our prayers.